Well, hello, and this is another extra bonus supplement, like the colour supplement that you throw away on a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> the first thing in the bin. The first thing in the yeah. bin. Yeah. Uh, it's your friends at Books of the Year here, and uh, Matt Williams is still around, which is oh, yeah. nice of him to be here for yes. this one. Thank you. Um, and hopefully you've already heard our interview with Lewis Dartnell, Origins, How the Earth Made Us. If you haven't, you can find it exactly where you downloaded uh, this from. And Lewis is still with us. He's still hanging around. It's amazing. amazing. <laughs> He's coming again. Couldn't get rid of me. In our anti-Brexit podcast studio. No, we're just reporting on... Uh, no, no, no. I, what I meant was this is where we're going to be when it all happens. Surviving it. This is where we're going to be surviving, yes. This okay. is your apocalypse-proof bunker. Correct. In yes. the back of a bar yeah. in North London. Yeah. Well, look, we'll be fine for a few weeks, won't we? <laughs> if, if only beer and wine was nutritionally complete and you yeah. could actually keep yourself going. Just over the road, there's a few clothes shops and things, you know, and there's... Yes. Go, go and get some artisanal cheese. So, so here we go. <laughs> my last book for the knowledge, I calculated how long a single person could survive in an average supermarket for before you'd either eaten all the food on the shelves or that food had gone off before we get around to eating it, which which seems all the more pertinent now, talking about... Yeah, and how, what was the answer? Well, what would you reckon? So a uh, single person locked into supermarket for the oh, rest of their natural life. Here we go. As, as a thought right. experiment. Yeah, okay. So, and it's a standard sort of... Standard average supermarket. Tesco, I'll be honest with you, it is... Metro kind of I size. did the calculation by counting everything in the Sainsbury's supermarket on Upper Street, which is very close to where I live. So that was, that was my, my benchmark okay. so, in Islington. So you can't cook? Um, so for the thought experiment, it's more about how much... Sustenance is there on the shelves of a, of a thought of so, so I can cook. So, so, so let's, say, cook. let's say you can yeah. cook and you've got access to like a toilet and like drinking water. You've Freezer, got drinking water, so I don't need to just drink what's in, on the shelves. You can drink the wine that's on the shelves, but you also have access Great. to water. Oh, fridge and good. freezer? Uh, the fridge and freezers have turned off, however. So this is this is a, oh, an apocalyptic. Spoiled. This was an apocalyptic uh, setup for my last book for the knowledge. So the grid has gone down, the fridge and freezer have shut off. And the food that was frozen is now thawing out and stuff. Okay, to rot. so so the meat you're gonna have to eat the meat. You want to eat the meat first. Exactly. You're gonna eat the meat first. Mind you, that's still that's still at least a month, isn't it? You're getting a month out of the meat, surely. You would eat month old meat, but oh, it's gonna be say... defrosting. It's defrosting, yeah, isn't I, it? I reckon it defrosts pretty quick. I reckon. I reckon one already one thawed out. Like, in if, the large if you have a power cut at home, <laughs> your your freezers defrost within a day or two. Okay. Yeah, but outside it's the apocalypse. You're yeah, yeah, yeah. Rotten meat. <laughs> and, and, so, and, and also, I'm thinking, I'm, you know, how long am I going to be in here? Maybe I just have the three sausages instead of, you know, You're going to go on a post-apocalyptic diet. You yes, well, I am. Yeah. You want to be able to outrun so, all the other survivors so of the apocalypse, don't you? I'm on my own in the supermarket. You are. Just me. Great. Okay. Um, Four and a half months. Oh, come on. I mean, it's got to be at least, at least a year. Okay. It yeah. Is, it, is, it, it is multiple years, yeah. Yes! It's at least a year. Brilliant. <laughs> How, How many, many years? Matt was close. So I, I did this. I counted all the food on the shelves of this supermarket, divided by the amount you have to eat per day, and the answer comes out that a single supermarket could keep one person alive for 55 years. 55, 55 years? Or 63 if you're happy to eat all the canned dog food and cat food as well. Uh, yeah, which well, is, would increasingly which, be there, but I, I still insist four and a half months. <laughs> By that point, you're probably bored of eating nothing but canned food and you would, yeah. <laughs> you would head your stress off straight to the spirit aisle by that point, would you sign? Praying for the sweet relief of death after three months before we get onto the dog food. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think I'd have given vodka up. Vodka before pedigree chum, you yes, reckon? Five years. I'm going to just keep drinking. <laughs> you would, wouldn't you? You're going to last three days. Anyway, this is supposed to be our Q&A, uh, but that, that makes me feel even more apocalyptic Brilliant. than the news. <laughs> yes. Um, so, Lewis, what was the last book you really, really enjoyed? Ah, so, um, being a science writer, I'm also a bit of a sci-fi nerd. 
and a book that's kind of sci-fi slash fantasy that is a game changer as far as I was, I was concerned is a book called The First 15 Lives of Henry August. Henry August, have you, have you come across it? Yes, so, yes. I think we did. Did we not do this on the book club? That rings I'm a bell. If not, you definitely I think, don't I think, think we did. Did we not? I go so on. The, how, the, premise, how... the premise is incredibly clever. What I love about sci-fi when it's done well is you take the world we are familiar with, you change one single aspect of that world, and then you very meticulously work through all the changes that that would drive and then describe how the world would be like now. So you kind of play through the thought experiment. And in the first 15 lives, um, there are a few people who, when they die, their consciousness just loops back to their moment of birth and they live their life again. And so without ruining the story at all, but just explaining the premise, the hero you follow basically goes insane on their second or third reiteration because they can't understand what's going on. They have memories from past life. People tell them they are crazy and they're going to get kind of sectioned. But then he realises that he's not alone. There are other people who are these loopers. And he then realises, in fact, there's an entire uh, secret society of people who loop their lives. And you can, through various mechanics, kind of pass questions forwards into the future by asking someone on your deathbed who's a toddler to then remember that question ask someone. So you can pass questions forward into the future. And if you're a historian, you can ask questions into the past. And about kind of four or five chapters in, you realise that something very, very bad happens in the future. These, these echoes of the future coming back down, this kind of chain of, of looping consciousnesses. And it's a profoundly fun book. We never read. did that. We never did that. You no, should totally, no, no, totally do that no. book. It is, it is yeah. an incredible read. Who wrote it? Oh, for the life of me, I can't remember. Oh, right. You oh, know what? You should have you... sent me these questions ahead of time so I yes, could have prepared. Yeah, yeah like we did. <laughs> you clearly, totally clearly. did. Right, okay. Uh, what book stroke scientific thesis do you remember being read to you as a child? So I enjoyed a lot of books about space when I was a toddler. Um, when you were my... a toddler? Well... Little, when I was about this high. I know, how, how old are people? Well, that's this like, like, I mean, seven, eight? six. Yeah, six, yeah, seven. Yeah. So, like, as, as early as I remember being read books okay. by mum and dad, I was getting into space books. And I remember an Osborne dictionary of space with kind of really cool cartoon graphics. And I've not had children it myself, but I'm taking great delight in my friend's kids, who are now all like kind of five, six, and getting them space books. Um, to open their eyes, the wonders of the cosmos. So I, I got into astrobiology as my research field. So my field of research at that University of Westminster is what is the chance that there is bacterial life on, Mar on Mars? Could it have evolved there? And importantly, how could we detect that it's there? What experiment could we build and strap on the front of a Mars rover and look for signs of life on Mars? So almost certainly that lifelong fascination with space and other planets has come from, you know, mum and dad reading me books about space when I was... This high. I appreciate I've, this isn't particularly useful for podcasts. No. I have just remembered, slash looked it up, The First 15 Lives of Harry August is written by Catherine Webb and it came out in 2014. There you go. There you go. Thank you. Quick Otherwise, fact check. Yeah. Otherwise people go crazy letting us know all that stuff. Yes. Is there a book you'd like to, have st to step inside of? I think this is about world creation, really. So and again, it, The First 15 Lives is such a richly realised world that is 90% identical to this world, but subtly different, but with profound effects, that I would love to be one of those loopers and kind of play around with, with some of the themes that, that they do in that book. I mean, this is exactly what J.K. Rowling does with, with the Harry Potter world. Like, the muggle world is our world, it's familiar, but then there's this secret world, this kind of hidden world behind the scenes, and so much great um, kind of... Um, 
realistic fantasy or sci-fi books just play with exactly that same trope. Can I just, to- I just want to apologise to Claire North because it says <laughs> it was... <laughs> the first 50 Nights of Harry August was selected for the Radio 2 book club. It was! So we did do it. We did do it. And uh, and yet that synopsis... That synopsis maybe, maybe sound I didn't, familiar. Maybe, maybe I didn't we do it were away. when I was just... Yeah, maybe we were away. Yes. That's not right at all. Anyway. But, get her in. Uh, yeah, get her in now. I'm going to go and read it again now. Yes, Shitty, quite right. Shitty. Quite right. Um, here's a, a question we always put in to see how honest our guests are going to be. How long do you give a book... Uh, or will you always, always finish it? I will definitely not always finish a book. Life is too short. I'd rather abandon a book that I'm not enjoying or hasn't caught my attention than have this kind of like sense of duty yeah. to finish it. I'd rather kind of dump that, start a new book. I, w- I would have said like five years ago that I'd get you know, 30, 40 pages, like 50 page threshold. If you've not grabbed my attention by then, sorry, I'm moving on. But with Kindles nowadays, it's like, 20%. Like everything is in, in percentages. I, I don't I don't read to the end of a chapter nowadays when I'm reading. I'll read to like a round number of percentages. Oh, right. Kindle. Okay. You're looking at me with a weird so, look. So no, no, You're I'm looking at me like I just said something that was a bit wrong. <laughs> I'm, trying, I'm trying to work it out. So so 20%, 20% of your book would be what? About, About uh, 60 pages. 60 pages. So 300 pages. That's still a lot. That's a lot. I mean, I'll be honest. But you've got, you've, got to give it, you know, you've got to give it a chance, right? Like a lot of, lot of films, a lot of books are slow burners. You've got to build the universe, build the world, set the premise, introduce the characters, and then start introducing your your point of friction or your kind of, you know, your dynamic tension. Yeah, I need it then earlier to than 60 pages, though. <laughs> if, there's no not, if there's not an explosion or dragons there in the first 10 be. pages, yes. you are putting it down. Car chase, Fair come enough. on. That single idea of kind of <clears throat> science fiction, science fantasy book, there was another, when you were talking about that, and I, again, I can't remember the title, but I'm going to look it up in a bit. Do you remember the book that we did where the, the basic idea was that the Earth stopped revolving? So basically, the, it was, the sun was always up. And it was that single fact. And then oh, it just yeah, 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 followed yeah. everything yeah, from yeah, what yeah, would yeah. be the logical conclusion yeah. of the fact that there was no day. Well, one half of the planet was permanently night and the other half was yeah, permanently yeah. sunshine. And just followed it to its logical conclusion, which was not great. No. no. <laughs> as you, Plot spoiler. As you can imagine. <laughs> uh, what's the first book you bought with your own money? So I was thinking about this again, that I grew up in Nairobi in Kenya. My, my dad was an engineer for British Airways, so we, we spent basically my entire childhood flying around and, and him working for a few years at a time. And I think when I was like kind of 10, 11 years old, so I was starting to have like pocket money that I'd spend on things that weren't sweet. I was in Nairobi and I've got this very clear memory of one of the shopping malls in Nairobi had a secondhand bookshop and I would spend like an entire hour just going back and forth and meticulously choosing the one book that I could afford to buy with my pocket money. And almost certainly back then it would have been like a fat, chunky Tom Clancy or probably something like an Alistair um, McLean. I was oh, I love huge. those. Yeah. Love Alistair those. And, I, and again, to not do too much free promo work for Amazon, um, I'm loving my Kindle because I've downloaded basically the entire uh, Alistair McLean, um, what would you say for kind of a body of writing work? His entire opus. Back catalogue. His entire opus. Yeah, yeah. And I've been reading Irvin. one through after another. And they do get a bit samey. And he's, yeah. it, is, <laughs> it is a bit sexist and it is a bit kind of boys with the toys, but... They are just great adventure stories. It's like Jack Higgins always exactly, has. Exactly, exactly. And here is Irish character. Yes. Oh, uh, again, Jack, well done. Uh, your favourite travel writer? Oh, so I don't I don't really read... The sort, sort of books I don't tend to read are biographies or travel books. And I don't know why. Maybe because I, I said I grew up living around the world, I probably should be reading more travel and kind of seeing how things have, have changed. I've got... Um, is it the, the Dark Safari, the Long Dark Safari? I don't, don't ask know. us. I, I mean, <laughs> I don't know what we've you read. guys only run a <laughs> podcast yeah. on books. Uh, favourite autobiography? 
I mean, see above. I don't. I don't really read them. So, uh, I think. I think okay, only. Forget. Forget these. Let's. Uh, science. Who's your favourite <laughs> science writer? Forget these. Your favourite science writer. Have I broken your question? Yes. Have I not read? What's your favourite science writer? Um, I have a lot of time for um, a friend of mine, Ed Yong, who um, does a lot of very, very good science writing uh, online and his podcast and for the Atlantic. He's got a wonderful book out uh, called "I Contain Multitudes," which is all about. Uh, bacteria that live in, on, and around the human body, and and, and how human life would not be possible were it not for for the bacteria. Mm-hmm. So he's he's my f- favorite dip into contemporary science writer, if you like, who, who's also a mate. Is is there a book about science that you recommend to non sciencey friends that you say if you want to understand astrophysics, if you want to understand biology, whatever? Um, why not give this a go? Because it's really accessible. I'm basically asking, obviously, <laughs> for myself. This, so I've got a friend who doesn't know anything about science. If you want to read a great book about astrobiology and this science with how we're looking for life on other planets, uh, there's a cracking book uh, called Life in the Universe, A Beginner's Guide by uh, an amazing author called Lewis Dartnell. <laughs> and, you, and that was my first book. Uh, all about, you see what I did there? It was my first book of astrobiology. Um if you want to learn about how we are looking for life on other planets, um, I think that that is a, that is a fair stab. If you want to learn about the periodic, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I wonder whether there's a book there. Yeah, yeah, there's, is there a book? Yeah, there's a book I mean, about a fourteen-year-old kid. Yeah, who's yeah. collecting a periodic. Currently being made into TV show. That's yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, you could look <laughs> out for that one. Lewis didn't think of that. So I loved that um, Bill Bryson's. <laughs> Not him. <laughs> no, I mean, you're, you're great also, Simon. You, yeah, you, yeah, yeah, whatever. We're all good in here. We, we, are, having a, we are having a mutual cuddle in but the that was, studio. But that, that, it was that history of everything, wasn't it? Yeah. It did. And, and it's, perhaps it's not surprising that some of the best science writing has been written by not research scientists. I agree And with I, th- that. I think a lot of the time you have to have an outside perspective looking in. I agree with that. To remind yeah. yourself about what is like the really interesting, fascinating stuff. I agree. And yeah. explain it for... There's a lot of nods coming from my left. <laughs> when was the last time you were in a public library? <laughs> Be honest. A couple of years. Five so I don't. I. I mean, is that bad of me? I don't know. There's no judgment here. No, that is. That's a total lie. I was in a public library last weekend in Glasgow. Oh, well, of course you were. But for a literary literary event, I was I was doing a talk about origin. So it wasn't a library. That was at the I Write Festival. It was at the I Write Festival. Were you up there? Yes. Did you enjoy it? It was good fun. I did. Yeah. I did. Yes. The, the, and the organizer was really pleased to see me. And I said, Bob. I was thinking. You're unusually pleased to see me, and, <laughs> and he said, "Yes, the previous guy just didn't turn up. Oh, so didn't turn up. Had, had a hall full of people. Ah. So, so compared to zero, so yes, I compared know. to zero, I was a huge yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yes, that's it. so. Yes. That, yeah, that counts. Excellent. Uh, is there a hidden gem of a place where you do lots of your research? So I do most of my writing. So I live up in Stoke Newington, and I did a lot of my writing in an incredible cafe called uh, the Fat Cut on Church Street. And the reason I went there is because I could get a uh, table that was right in a corner, surrounded on three sides with glass windows. So it was kind of lovely and light and airy. And I would uh, consistently buy coffees to kind of essentially buy my time at the table. And lunchtime would arrive and they did uh, a kind of a a pulled pork with the most incredible barbecue sauce uh, on top of it. And I essentially lived off that for the year when I was going through the, the majority of my research and writing uh, for knowledge for my last book. And then they closed down. And I went in on like January the 8th, a year or two ago, um, and they were just like ripping up the place. The, the, the owner had just got bored of, of running cafe and she was off to do something new. And it is now, it being Stoke Newington, it is a shop that sells like twee things, like 
soap that is too expensive and has a funny colour and smells really strongly and like bits of driftwood which you can now use to you know, hang your keys on a stuff. Do you know what I mean? That kind of shop. Beard oil and no socks. Beard oil, kind of a hipster. Yeah. Matt's favourite Korean place. <laughs> Goodness <Okay>. me. Okay. <laughs> and is there finally, Lewis, a book that always cheers you up other than your own? <laughs> yeah. Maybe I've done a bit too much self-promotion. I don't yeah. Know. Yeah. <laughs> Says Simon, who's gonna agree. <laughs> no, that's what, um, that's what you're here for. I, yeah. It used to be, I haven't read in quite a long while, but my go to kind of guilty pleasure book was Lucky Jim by Kingsley Amos. And again, it hasn't aged particularly well. It is a bit dated now, but I just love that kind of, um, kind of bumbling academic managing to screw everything up, you know, kind of scra- uh, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory um, type story. Um, which was, was, I remember it being laugh out loud funny. So I've, I've, read, I've read that four or five times, but not for kind of a couple of years now. Uh, Lewis, thank you very much. What are you working on next, by the way? Uh, so the next book is something my agent has been talking to me about. And I think I, I just want to take a bit of a rest now. No. Nope. I mean, I guess, I guess no you rest. know the same time. It is exhausting birthing a book. And particularly something like Origins, which is quite far removed from my actual research field and my biological background, to be talking about whole sweep of human history and the history of our whole planet Earth. I just want, I want to write a, like a palate cleanser book. I think I'll write another children's book now. That's, that's what I think I would enjoy and look forward to. Yeah, it's a crowded area. <laughs> <laughs> don't, yeah, don't worry, Simon. It's suddenly got a nah, wee bit territorial nah. in here. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little. Yeah. Yes, those tectonic... <laughs> yeah, they are. So what I think I might do next <laughs> is write a book about chemistry and periodic table, but do it properly. It comes... <laughs> from a scientist's point of view... Here comes not, a mega flux. Some... <laughs> <laughs> Whoosh. There goes your isthmus. Yeah. There, there goes my you group. in the edit, my friend. <laughs> uh, Lewis, thank you very much. Thank you ever so much once again, both. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. 